The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. She is the Director of Education at Credit.com, author of many books on the topic of credit. Her latest book is called Debt Collection Answers. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Jerry. Oh, thank you, Jordan. Let's just kind of start with an overall view. Before we get to that, let me get a little bit of background of you. Give us your history and and, uh, getting to uh, Director of Education at Credit.com. A little background on you. Sure, sure. So I've been doing this for about 20 plus years, 25 years. Uh, Started out with the Consumer Group in D.C. I've done a lot of interesting and fun things. Testified in front of Congress. Got to uh, weigh in on some of the legislation that was passed that protected consumers in the case of free credit reports, for example. Um, So I've seen a lot of changes, but I think, you know, some things don't change. And that is that consumers still get confused and overwhelmed and they run into problems. And then they're looking for answers to try to solve it. Indeed. So let's kind of look at the overall situation with credit right now. We came through this incredible credit crunch in 2008-2009. Uh, banks shut down people's credit lines dramatically. Uh, the whole credit crunch really hit. And now things seem to have loosened up a little bit. But kind of give us a sense of where we are in the credit cycle right now for consumers. Yeah, that's right. So delinquencies hit historical highs during that time. In other words, people were not paying back their debts, whether it was credit cards, mortgages, auto loans. Uh, that has substantially improved. And in fact, we're back to, to pre-recession uh, delinquency rates on a lot of types of debt. Um, but also, you know, lenders, like you mentioned, Jordan, they really contracted their credit offers. I heard from so many consumers, and I'm sure you did too, who said, you know, I've always paid my bills on time and my credit card company still cut my credit limit in half. Uh, and, and that was a natural reaction to a lot of things that were going on in the industry. But now, you know, we're not back to where we were. Uh, liar loans and mortgages, for example, aren't easy to get. And uh, issuers are certainly more selective about extending credit. But um, we're seeing a lot of, you know, things starting to percolate. More subprime auto loans, more credit cards offered to consumers with maybe not perfect, not so perfect credit. So it's, it's starting to uh, loosen again. What has been the main impact you've seen so far of the Credit Card Act, which I guess was 2010, and all the so-called Card Act? What has been the impact of that on the credit environment? Yeah, the number one impact of the Credit Card Act, which was legislation that addressed a lot of different areas of credit card pricing and, and policies, the main one was that you could you pretty much get what you what you see you get. In other words, they aren't going to raise your interest rate because you're two hours late with a payment uh, because you got online at 7 p.m. instead of 5 p.m. Or they aren't going to raise your interest rate uh, retroactively on your existing balance just because they can, because they feel like it. Uh, so consumers have a better shot at predicting the cost and the um, you know experience they have with their credit cards than they did before that legislation passed. The other thing that was formed by that legislation was the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. 
what kind of impact have they had on consumers' ability to get credit and the way things are working in the credit markets these days? Yeah, so the Dodd-Frank bill um, gave birth to the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which many people know was Elizabeth Warren's um, uh, baby, her creation, but uh, headed by Richard Cordray. And I have been phenomenally impressed with um, the amount of work they have done in a very short period of time. Uh, I've been at this a long time, and I'm used to saying to consumers, you know, you can complain, complain to your regulator, but... Yeah, it's not going to do a whole lot of good. You know, maybe once in a while a regulator would come along and say, "Okay, we've gotten all these complaints about this particular company, so we're going to take action." But that was often few and far between. Although I have to say, some state regulators have been very active. Um, but with the CFPB, we've seen just a ton of of movement of action. We've seen them attempt to um, uh, to to clarify the disclosure process, make it easier for both lenders and consumers, like your mortgage disclosures. So they're easier to read and understand and also cut down on the paperwork that lenders have to provide to consumers. So uh, I, I think they're doing an amazing job. And, and the, the main thing that I find myself doing is when a consumer cannot resolve a consumer pro- problem that relates to a financial services product, then I'll tell them file a complaint with the CFPB. I don't think that's your first step. I think you should first usually try to resolve it with a merchant unless you're dealing with a scammer. But if you can't resolve it, the CFPB is doing a very good job of trying to help consumers fix those problems. So they see a lot of complaints coming in about a particular thing and you're saying they're taking action whereas in the past the FTC or the Treasury or Fed was supposedly overseeing these things really didn't take much action. It was much slower under the previous regulatory uh, scheme. And, you know, one of the things, I won't go go deeply into politics here, but one of the things, for example, when you look at the FTC, you have FTC commissioners and they have to vote on particular types of action. Um, With the CFPB, they're just much more nimble at this point. That may change, you know, with politics and they may, there's a a push to move them to sort of a commissioner-based type organization. But right now, they're pretty nimble, they're pretty active, and they're really helping a lot of people. And they have a complaint database. So if you're dealing with a problem with a uh, particular card issuer or a particular lender and you're wondering, hey, am I the only one out there who's experiencing this? You can go onto their website and you can access their complaint database and they'll tell you who they're getting complaints about and what types of complaints they're getting and whether they've been resolved. So you can get an idea if that's something that other people are experiencing as well. What are some of the biggest areas of complaints they're getting these days? Well, they've done a lot of um, they've done a lot of action uh, related to service members trying to go after companies that are taking advantage of our service members in terms of predatory type lending and debt collection. Debt collection is a huge one, but that's that's for good reason because debt collectors tend to generate more complaints than any other industry. It's certainly to the Federal Trade Commission. I believe that's held true with the CFPB as well. So, one of their reports, for example, recently that they put out was a report on medical debt collection. And I had not seen similar information before from a regulator, uh, and certainly not this comprehensive. And it really interesting stuff in terms of the number of Americans who are dealing with uh, credit report and debt collection problems due to medical debts. So what can people do if they do have medical debts that they're behind on uh, to get that so it doesn't ruin their credit? Ah, well, that's the that's the big question. 
So, so we have the situation right now, right, with medical debt, where um, if you have a medical bill, the the medical billing system in America is very convoluted, very complicated. And I don't know if you experienced this. I've been down this road before. Um, I broke yes. my hand over Labor Day, right? And so I go to the ER, and no one tells me when I leave. There's nothing about billing when I leave. You have no, no idea one, what the prices are for anything, basically. N- yes. No idea. And I also have no idea who's going to bill me. So right. no, right? So knowing what I know, I know that I have to stay on top of this. So what I did was I started, I logged online to my health insurance company, and I started really closely watching my explanations of benefits. But, you know, I got bills from two... Um, medical supply companies, and they're very confusing. I, I never did get to the bottom which was which, but apparently one was for this sling that I got and one was for the splint that I got. Uh, and I got bills from radiologists. I got bills. The ER bill was not forthcoming, and I had to make several calls. I, it didn't get resolved till it didn't even get processed by my insurance till 52 days after my visit in the ER. In the meantime, I'm, of course, sweating because thinking, I don't want to hear from a collection agency <laughs> before I get right. a chance to pay the bill. So it's it's very convoluted. And, and, you know, what frustrates me to no end is that, you know, if I have a dispute over a credit card bill, if I get a credit card bill for $10 and it's this is something I didn't buy or I'm not sure I don't recognize the merchant or anything, I have the right under federal law to dispute that. And the credit card company has to investigate and get back to me within a certain number of days and they can't report it on my credit because I've asked for this investigation. So I have more rights with a $10 medical bill dispute than I do with a $1,000, I'm sorry, $10 credit card dispute than I do with a $1,000 medical bill dispute. Now, I think that is a problem, especially when we have so many insurance agencies, so many different people touching these bills and processing these bills. I think it's a real issue. But regardless, you didn't ask me you know, what the problem is. If we know what the problem is, that, that what can you do about it? So here, here are the tips that I give consumers. First of all, you know, try to ask a lot of questions. So if you can ask, you know, when you go in for a procedure, verify that they're in your network. If they're out of your network, your cost could be huge if they aren't covered by your insurance network. Um, ask who's going to be billing you. Double check. Verify. And, and I really mean verify. I mean, if you if you have an elective surgery coming up, for example, I would literally verify the day before I went in. I mean, that yep. close just to be certain. Uh, and then follow those explanations of benefits. So you get those things from the insurance company, and most of us just sort of, eh, we kind of, maybe we stick it in a file, maybe we just throw it out. Look at it. Say, you know, who's billing me? How much do they say is my responsibility? Has it been resolved? If it hasn't been resolved and some time has passed, like with my ER bill, you call the medical provider. You say, look, I know you've billed my insurance. I know you're waiting on it. Is there anything I can do in the meantime? I just want to make sure this gets taken care of. Really be very proactive because the problem, Jordan, is many people that I talk with believe that a medical bill does not impact their credit the way other types of collection accounts do. And that is simply not true. Yeah, it can really hurt your credit badly. Very badly. I've seen people have their credit score drop literally 100 points as a result of a medical bill that slipped through the cracks or was under dispute or whatever, wound up with a collection agency and was reported as a collection account on their credit report. So this That's is a really important to them. stuff. They, they didn't even know it was about to hit them in many cases, right? Was, the exactly. damage is done before they even know that they owe a collection of some kind. 
Exactly. And they may not know until it's essentially too late. There's no standards in terms of when the collection agency will report that medical bill to the credit bureaus as a collection account. And so um, so some of them may give you an opportunity to pay. Some of them might not. But it's not something that currently is directly covered by any federal law or federal regulation in terms of that reporting. So since this is a big area of complaints with CFPB, do you see regulations or something changing to uh, make it better in this area of medical debt? Uh, I hope so. I believe that this report is probably the beginning of an effort to um, help you know, level the playing field here, so to speak. Uh, FICO 9, which is a new version of the FICO score and something else we can talk about, that does address medical bills in a new um, way that's consumer friendly. But I, I, I suspect that they are laying the groundwork for, um, you know, consumer protections here. Certainly within their, whatever they can do, you know, they, they can't write laws. It's not Congress, right? But they can enforce current laws so they could look at current practices and um, see if there are any deceptive or unfair practices that are going on. And then in, in that context, perhaps um, provide some guidance or regulation. Doesn't sound like there are current laws that they can enforce at this point in the medical debt area. Well, you, yeah, I mean, you've got the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Neither of those specifically address this kind of practice. But, you know, sometimes regulators will look at things like unfair unfair or deceptive practices, acts and practices, and so they might categorize something under there. Or it might be something where, you know, maybe Elizabeth Warren, who, <laughs> you know, who started the CFPB, maybe she's in the Senate now. Maybe she'll spearhead some legislation. Let's only hope that someone realizes there actually has been legislation pending um, Jordan in Congress for, uh, it's been introduced like five years in a row, has bipartisan support, but just can't get anywhere in our in our completely clogged congressional system. But that legislation would remove collection accounts from credit reports if the original amount was $2,500 or less and it's paid. So 60 days after you pay a uh, medical debt or settle it, uh, it would come off your credit reports completely. And that, I think, would be uh, just extremely helpful to the millions of Americans dealing with yes, it. Yes, really been hurt with their credit, yes. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. She's the director of education at credit.com. Uh, and also she has a book out called Debt Collection Answers, which you can find out about at debtcollectionanswers.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. It's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment. The headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud. How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. 
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. Uh, She is the Director of Education at Credit.com. She's also put out a new book called Debt Collection Answers which you can find out about at DebtCollectionAnswers.com. Welcome back to the show, Jerry. Thank you. So you put out a new calculator at Credit.com, which is called the Lifetime Cost of Debt. So how can people use that, and how do people get surprised at how much they're actually spending on debt over their lifetimes in different kinds of debt? Yeah, well, I, th- I think we have a tendency, I think most people know that if your credit score is good or great, you're going to pay a lower interest rate than if you don't have good credit. I mean, that seems... I think it's pretty obvious at this point that most people know that. Um, but I don't think, a lot of times you get sort of caught up in the, the monthly payments and we don't realize over the cost of our whole lifetime how much we spend in interest. So we put out this calculator at credit.com and it's just, uh, you can find it by just going to credit.com forward slash tools, T-O-L-L-S. And what it does is it lets you... Put in some information about you, your age, and and where you live, and look at an average lifetime cost of debt for uh, your for your situation. And for a typical person with good credit, they're going to pay about two hundred eighty thousand dollars in interest over their lifetime. That's mortgages, uh, auto loans, and a little bit of credit card debt. Not a whole lot of credit card debt. If you are someone with excellent credit versus someone with bad credit, the difference in the amount of interest you'll pay is about $160,000 over your lifetime. That's an enormous sum of money. So that's and, not only you know, higher interest rates, but people with less good credit often borrow more because they don't have enough money to meet their bills. That's certain, right? Yes, that's certainly part of it. And and if, you ha- if you're someone with bad credit, you're going into the car dealership and you're thinking, you know what, just get me into a vehicle. You know, I, I know how much I can pay each month, but just get me into a vehicle. I don't care what the interest rate is because I just need a car to get to work or to pick up my kids from school or whatever it, whatever it is. So you, you have a lot less flexibility and choice when you are dealing with bad credit. And this is meant to be, you know, in inspiring and educational and interesting and and to motivate consumers to ultimately start taking control of their credit and really looking at, okay, what things can I do uh, to build stronger credit? That's one of the key things we offer at credit.com is a free credit score. It's a truly free score. We don't ask for any payment information. And then we give consumers an action plan to work toward stronger credit. We want to we want to motivate them and give them some some, you know, basically some good hard numbers to say, here's why it's worth your time to so go, focus on good credit. Let's go into the big three. Let's talk about mortgages. You have an example here of a 30-year fixed rate mortgage at four and a half percent interest for two hundred and seventy-five thousand. How much would you pay on that typically uh, over 30 years? Um, I don't have that number in front of me. I'm sorry. Well, the, the number comes to 226000 in okay, interest, okay, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> right. I've got it in front of me. You, you gave okay. it to me. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and and uh, you're saying on cars that uh, the average balance about 22000 or so that you'll, you'll pay 
something like 4300 in interest uh, over a five-year period, typically. Yeah, and, and interestingly there, Jordan, what I was surprised is um, the average person finances about nine vehicles in their lifetime, about every seven years. And, I, you know, I started counting. I was like, oh, yeah, I think I have had all <laughs> Yes. that many you don't you don't realize it but you, you do end up financing quite a few vehicles over your lifetime and they're saying that the lifetime interest paid on cars over those nine cars is about 39 almost forty thousand dollars in interest over you know the, the your lifetime for cars and then on credit cards you're saying uh, the average over 40 year periods about thirteen thousand dollars in interest on an average balance of about 2100 at an average interest rate of about 15 percent so it really does add up over time. And a lot of that, now mortgage is deductible, but cars and credit cards is not. So it's it's pretty high uh, you know, amount of interest to pay that you don't get deductions for. Yeah, and mortgage interest is deductible provided the mortgage interest deduction is larger than your standard exemption, you know, if you're itemizing. And if you're not itemizing, then, you know, you're just paying the interest and you don't really yeah. get a deduction. Now, you have another uh, piece on credit.com, which is how fast can you get out of debt? And just maybe go through the brief ways that you can speed up getting out of debt. Yeah, so in the terms of the tools that we offer, we have a new uh, credit card calculator designed to help people understand very quickly and easily and visually how quickly they can pay off their credit card debt. And I think if you're looking to go um, fast with your credit card debt, one of the keys is to try to get your interest rates down. And the reason, of course, is that a lower interest rate, more of your payment goes toward your debt and less of it goes toward interest. That's why one thing I'm a fan of in certain situations is to use a personal loan to consolidate debt, provided you know you don't then turn around and run up the credit cards. But you get a fixed rate personal loan with a fixed repayment period, three to five years. You know exactly this is how much I'm going to pay every month. I'm going to be out of debt in this period of time. You stop running up balances on the credit cards and you don't have the temptation of that minimum payment treadmill that the credit cards offer you, you know, where oh, money's a little tight this month, it's the holidays, so I'm just going to make the minimum payment and then you're doing that again in March and then again in August. It really adds up retires, that yeah. Right, and then it stretches out forever. So that's the first thing. The second thing you say is to do a balance transfer. Now, there are a lot of these 0% balance transfers that typically have fees, 3 or 4% on the amount borrowed. Do you think that is a good idea to use those balance transfer checks that people get all the time? Yeah, balance transfer offers are getting better again. They really dried up during the recession, but they're getting better again. Now we're seeing 18 to 24 months, 0% interest, but you're right. There's a fee for that, and it's usually between 2 and 4% of the balance transfer amount. Some issuers, like I get offers every month from Bank of America, and their offers are you can pay a little bit lower interest rate for a longer balance transfer Oh, and uh, the fee is the same, or you can pay a little bit, I'm sorry, lower interest rate for a shorter, but a little bit higher if you want to go for a longer balance transfer. So you have to do a little bit of math here. It absolutely can save you money. Again, if you have the discipline to pay it off by the time the balance transfer offer expires, because at the end of that offer, the interest rate typically jumps to double digits. So it could yeah. be 21, 22, 25%. So you have to be saving more in the lower interest to zero or 1% interest then the fee is costing you compared to where you have the money elsewhere. That's basically the calculus, is that right? That's right. Although if you if you stretch a, say, a 2% fee out over two years, it's hard to beat that in terms of an interest rate. I don't know any credit cards offering that low of, low of an interest rate right now. Yes. And then you say also you can pay more each month to pay it off uh, as, as a way of speeding up your payoff? 
Right. So the question here, and you've written about this in your books, Jordan, is do you pay off the highest interest rate debt? Do you pay off the lowest balance? And uh, you're going to save the most money by paying off the highest interest rate debt. Um, But sometimes some consumers just want to get rid of that one card with a low balance. And, you know, if that works for you and then you roll over that payment into the next debt, I'm fine with that. What do you think about nonprofit credit counseling as a way to pay debt off quicker when you consolidate into one at a lower interest rate, you close the accounts and pay them, and they pay off the credit card companies. I think that can be a great option. Uh, what I tell consumers is if you add up your credit card debt and you look at those payments, that will that what, whatever it's going to take you to pay it off in three to five years. And again, the free calculator at credit.com will give you that figure. If you look at that number and you say, you know what? I can't pay that much each month. There's no way. I've got to pay a lot less. And maybe it's going to take me seven years or 10 years. That's when I think you absolutely should talk to a credit counseling agency to see whether you can get your interest rates reduced and get on a plan to pay that debt off in five years or less. Once it stretches out beyond five years, you have much higher risk that something's going to happen and you're going to fall off, off track. And how about debt settlement companies, which there's a fewer of them than there used to be, because the FTC rule said they can't charge upfront fees anymore, so a lot of them kind of dropped away. But that still is an alternative. What do you think about debt settlement as a way of getting rid of credit card debt? Yeah, so debt settlement gets, you know, there are a lot of people who say you should never even consider debt settlement, and I understand the antipathy toward them. They, you know, they, they caused a lot of problems for a lot of consumers. But these are the companies that say we're going to negotiate lower payments on your debts. Um, I'd say a couple things. I'd say first, of course, talk to a credit counseling agency and even talk to a bankruptcy attorney. You need to know all your alternatives. You need to know what the lay of the land is. Um, debt settlement can sometimes make sense for someone who uh, is not a good candidate for bankruptcy but has enough money that they can set aside enough money over, say, the next 24, maybe 36 months to settle their debts. Um, but be very careful. You know, there's, you're right. How do you right. find a good one? How do you find good debt settlement companies in today's environment? Well, I, I like a couple of companies that help people do it sort of DIY. They teach you and coach you through it. So you can do as much as you can by yourself. If you need help, you can get a little bit of help that way. Um uh, if you get if you if you have a company who's making who's n- not giving you the full picture and saying you know you should at least consider these other options, then I think that's probably a red flag that you're dealing with someone who's just trying to pull, rope you in, but isn't working in your best interest. When you say do it yourself, does this mean that you think if you talk to a credit card company that they will negotiate with you and uh, offer you a settlement without having a third party in- intervene? Some will, yes, some will. Some will offer hardship programs or when the debt gets charged off is typically where a lot of negotiation happens. So if you're headed for a charge off anyway, you know, this is not for someone who can afford a credit counseling repayment. The one thing that that most people don't realize about credit counseling is that it does not hurt your credit score as as much as most people think. People think it's going to destroy their credit score, and credit counseling does not do that because you pay all your bills back on time over time once you get in one of these programs, right? Debt settlement, you, you you don't pay back all your debts. So debt settlement is really for someone who can't afford the payment in credit counseling, you know, the, the 100% of paying back 100% of your debt is unaffordable, but they're not a good candidate for bankruptcy for some reason. And then in that in-between, that's where the negotiation happens. And a lot of times it happens at the collection side once the account has been charged off. So it's already negative. 
they are the, the creditor or the collector knows they're at risk of not getting anything because it's been charged off. That already makes it a high risk debt at that point, and that's where a lot of this negotiation happens. I hear from people all the time who say, "Well, I, you know, I want to, I want to pay back less than the full balance, but I'm paying on time." You are not a candidate for debt negotiation. There's no hardship there. They don't see any There's hardship. There's no hardship. There. Exactly. If you can afford to pay back 100% of your debt, they, they want 100% of your debt. Right. So what is the impact on your credit score of going through a debt settlement, a successful debt settlement where you are paying less than the full balance compared to, say, bankruptcy? Uh, it's pretty similar because you're going to have a lot of charged off accounts. Um, you're going to have collection accounts on your credit. So you're going to fall in the similar bucket to bankruptcy. It's it's really not that much different. So the other thing I have to warn about debt settlement uh, is that you will get 1099Cs for mm. debt that's settled. For If you save $600 or more off the amount that you owed, they will send you a 1099C and then you have to account for that on your taxes. So you, you may not have to pay taxes, but you will have to account for it on your tax returns. So that's another issue to keep in mind. Meaning that say they forgave $10,000 in debt, that's $10,000 in income to you. It doesn't feel like income, but it's kind of phantom income, but you may have to pay taxes on that. Exactly, unless you can demonstrate that you were insolvent at the time it happened or if you qualify for an exclusion like you, you included the debt in bankruptcy, then the IRS expects you to include that as taxable income and um, pay taxes on that amount. But if you're not going bankrupt or insolvent, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. So that's probably something the debt settlement people don't tell you is about to hit you. Correct. And and it's something you want to plan for. You know, you still may pay less in the long run paying taxes and settling your debt. But if you haven't prepared for that tax bill, that could be a huge hit. A lot of people are very surprised when they get those 1099 yep. thing. Yep. And when does bankruptcy make sense compared to credit counseling or debt settlement? So if you can't pay back all your debt through credit counseling, five years or less, then I recommend you talk to a bankruptcy attorney. And um, even if the payment plan offered by the counseling agency would be a real stretch. It'd be really, really hard to make that payment each month. No room for any error, any misstep during those five years that you're paying it back. That's probably a sign you need to at least find out what your options are when it comes to bankruptcy. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. She's the Director of Education at Credit.com. She's also put out a book recently called Debt Collection Answers. And you can find out about that at DebtCollectionAnswers.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. She's the Director of Education at Credit.com. Welcome back to the show, Jerry. Thank you. I want to talk about credit reports a little bit. Uh, why is it important to stay on top of your credit report, and what, hap- what can you do if you see errors on there? Uh, credit reports influence a lot of our financial life, probably more so than we realize. Uh, I, I was at the um, you know at a warehouse club recently, and this woman could not get the cell phone plan that she wanted because of something on her credit report. Uh, utilities, cable—they all pull credit to see you know whether you qualify or whether you have to put up a deposit. You've got your lenders and mortgage companies, etc. And even if you can get credit with your credit score, if it's not strong enough, you will probably pay more. So what are some t- typical, I mean, I've seen numbers that 20, 25% of credit reports have major errors on them, something like that. If you have those, what under the FACTA law, you have a right to challenge these things. What is the easiest way to get errors off your credit report so your score is higher? That's right. So first of all, you do have to get your credit reports. Annualcreditreport.com is the place to get your free annual credit reports. Get them from all three bureaus, Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, because they do not share information with each other. So if there's a mistake on one, it could be on the other one as well, and you'd want to know about it. Uh, you have the option to dispute an error. You can dispute it online, or you can uh, file your complaint by mail. Uh I'm a big fan of putting serious or errors that impact your credit um, in writing and sending it to the credit bureaus. The credit bureaus don't really prefer that advice, and they have told me and explained to me that if you file it online, it's quicker, faster, and more efficient. Um, and they've gotten, to be honest, they have gotten a lot better about the online dispute process. So before, for example, you couldn't provide any kind of proof of your side of the story if you disputed something online. You just pick from a drop-down menu, right? And then you'd pick that and it would go in their computer and their computer would contact, would ping the creditor's computer and it'd come back and that's how it would be handled. Um, now you you can upload documentation if you have documentation and the creditor is supposed to, or the furnisher, the company that's furnishing the information is supposed to look at that information and keep, keep it, you know, keep track of it. Um, if you do decide to dispute, dispute online because it's easier, faster, and more efficient, then just make sure you keep a record. Um, some they, they typically will send you an email confirmation, but I'm, you know, I just like to be double careful. I take screenshots, you know, I'd 
print out whatever I had, a copy of the credit report, they had the mistake, keep the documentation. Hopefully you won't need it. Hopefully most disputes are handled efficiently without a second dispute. But if it is, then you want the documentation in case you run into a problem that requires additional assistance. Do you find that a lot of creditors cooperate with the credit bureaus to either uh, say it's correct or incorrect to come up with, I mean, because a lot of them, if they don't respond at all, then the credit bureau doesn't know what to do. Yeah, well, if they don't respond at all, then the information must be removed from your credit report. It can't be reported until it's verified um, later on. So in some sense, consumers like it when they dispute something negative and no one responds to it, right? Because <laughs> Is that fact what's happening? Is the creditors in many cases do not respond? Uh, It does happen. Uh, What I find is that when you're talking about your major credit card issuers, your major mortgage lenders, it's going to get verified. It will get verified. Mm -hmm. Um, Where I see it not always getting verified tends to be things like older collection accounts or maybe collection accounts you resolved a few years ago. Um, Those kinds of things aren't always... um, Verified, and that's a, that's of course one of the things that the credit repair organizations count on is the idea that if you dispute it, it doesn't get resolved, it won't be reported anymore. However, you have to be very careful because uh, by law, if something is is removed because you've disputed it, they're supposed to certify before they put it back on your report. They're supposed to certify and send you notification that they're putting it back on your credit report. I re- I have rarely seen that happen. And so you want to keep a record of this so that if you, let's say you dispute that um, old account, that old medical bill collection account, and it comes off your report. And six months later, it pops up again. You want to be able to access that information to say, look, I disputed it. It was removed. No one warned me that it's coming back on because in that case, that would be a violation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Mm -hmm. So do you find, I mean, this is all in theory what the law says, but what's happening in practice if something's not supposed to report an old credit error or something like that? Do, in fact, the credit bureaus, are they getting better at taking incorrect information off the reports after it hasn't been confirmed or verified? Uh, yes. I mean, they do. They, if they don't verify it, it does, it, it, get, it does not get reported. Now, oh. it could get re-reported, like I said, yes. but if, if, if it's not verified, they know. I mean, that's a basic requirement that they know they have to follow. So th- that, that one's pretty much a slam dunk. In general, are credit scores rising or falling in the economy these days? Uh, they're rising. FICO said recently that um, the average FICO score hit an all-time high. So, Because yeah. the economy is better in various ways, yes. Economy's so, so, better, yeah. So FICO has uh, introduced a new uh, version 9 now. What's new about uh, FICO score 9 compared to earlier versions? Okay, so with credit scores, you have lots of different models of credit scores. So even with FICO, you don't have one FICO score. You have many different versions. So it's sort of like your Windows computer, right? You've got XP and Windows 8, and you've got maybe an older version of Windows. Um, With FICO, they introduced a new model, a suite of scoring models called uh, FICO 9. And with this, this one is particularly exciting because with FICO 9, what one of the major changes they make is that any... um, collection account that is reported with a zero balance is bypassed by the score. So if you had that medical collection account or any kind of collection account, you resolved it, you paid it or you settled it and they said, well, zero out the balance if you pay X amount, then um, 
then once that information was with the credit bureau, the next time your credit score is calculated, it would not figure into the calculation. Uh, a lot of consumers are very, very excited about this. Um, I think this has it be- caused scores to go up because of that? Well, here's the problem. And and let me just mention, Jordan, that about a third of consumers with credit reports have a collection account on their credit report. So this would mm-hmm. affect a lot of consumers, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is um, it's an adoption process. So just like I'm not using Windows 8 on my computers, I'm using Windows 7, um, there are lenders who are... Not, have they lenders don't just adopt that it's not like plug and play like you upgrade your Firefox right <laughs> it takes upgrade. a long time to kind of work right because the they have to test it they have to say okay does this help us make better credit decisions what happens to our population if we do this um, and then they have to you know it's it's expensive to change things to investigate to test it to implement it so it I don't know if lenders are using it all yet, other than perhaps under a test-type scenario where they're testing it, um, the model. Uh, I, I think this time could be a little bit different than the normal adoption cycle in the sense that I think there's some probably, I don't know this for certain, but I, I suspect there's probably some regulatory pressure to move in this direction because of the things we were talking about earlier, like the mm-hmm. issue of medical collections. Yes. So I'm hoping that's the case. But consumers should not assume right now that if they pay or resolve a collection account, their credit score will go up. Under most models used today, that is not the case. There's nothing you can do about it as a consumer. You can get it to zero, but you can't make your score go up by pointing it out to them, right? Correct, correct, because the lender uses what the lender uses. Now, Vantage Score 3, Vantage Score is the competitor, main competitor to FICO. They also have this bypass, and Vantage Score 3 is used by some lenders, but you probably will not know what a lender's using. So, unfortunately, if you have a collection account, you can take care of it, and it, there may be many good reasons for resolving it, but boosting your credit score in the short term is not one of them. <laughs> Indeed, okay. Um, so, uh, other than that, the, the, the FICO 9 and the Vantage Score 3, what are some other things people can do to stay on top of their credit score? Do you, for example, recommend one of these credit monitoring services to see it on an ongoing basis? Well, I mean, naturally, I'm going to recommend they visit credit.com because they can get free credit monitoring from us. So it'll come through their Experian report and give them a a couple of credit scores. Um, You probably also have free credit monitoring or credit score monitoring available through your one of your card issuers. Quite a few of the major card issuers are now offering a free credit score each month. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's another way to look at another, you know, uh, credit score. And then, you know, I think um, there are situations where it makes sense to spring for a paid credit monitoring service uh, if you know you've been a victim of identity theft, if you're going through a nasty divorce, for example, if you know your personal information was compromised recently, that might be a case where you want to look at all three bureaus and monitor them very closely um, to see if there's any unusual activity. So basically the idea is if you think there might have been problems, you want to make stay on top of it to see that those problems have been resolved and aren't exacerbated by further problems. Yeah, I mean, do the do the free thing no matter what because you don't know. I mean, I had a situation recently where one of my mortgage companies is reporting me late. It was due to a mistake, a billing mistake. And um, if I weren't wasn't using the you know credit.com tool to monitor my credit, I probably wouldn't have known about it. None of my card issuers closed my account or said your credit scores dropped or anything like that. I knew it because I was monitoring it. So yeah. um, I, I, I definitely think everyone should do that at a minimum. But then there's some situations where it makes sense to go a step further. 
shouldn't have been fooling with De- Jerry Detweiler and getting her upset. That's not a good <laughs> we'll idea. We'll see. We'll see. The jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're going to go for a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. She's the director of education at credit.com. She's got a new book out called Debt Collection Answers, and you can find out about that at debtcollectionanswers.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly-based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jerry Detweiler. Uh, she is the Director of Education at Credit.com. Welcome back to the show, Jerry. Thank you. Let's talk about criminality as it relates to credit here. Um, how do you stop a credit card thief if they've got your cards and your numbers and so it doesn't get out of hand and ruin your credit? Well, you aren't responsible for fraudulent charges on credit cards. Debit cards are different, so we can talk about those separately, but credit cards, you aren't responsible, but it's a real hassle if it happens. So I had a friend who was sitting you know, in her living room watching a movie with her son Saturday night, and she's in Florida, where I am, and she gets this notification on her, on her smartphone that says, oh, your credit card has just been used 
to rent jet skis in California. (laughs) Uh She was not in California, right? So she immediately contacted her credit card company. And it was interesting. She had just been to California. So the, the, the charge itself didn't really raise any red flags for the issuer because she had just re- re- returned from there. She had been, sh- you know, spent, used the card there, but she knew she hadn't used it at this particular location. So she contacted them, they cut off the card, and they, in fact, were able to stop it before um, the charge went through, and they reissued her card number. So one of the things I'm a big fan of is alerts. So every card issuer offers various alerts. They can alert you when your payment is due and when your balance goes below a certain amount on your bank account or when it goes above a certain amount on your credit card or there's a foreign charge on your credit card or whatever it may be. Um, familiar, familiarize yourself with those. Go online. And this is important whether you use a card frequently or even if you don't because some of the biggest problems happen with cards that someone maybe just is trying to pay off the debt and it's on auto pay so they're really not paying that close attention to the statements because they're saying, I'm not using the cards. So I don't need to worry about it. But then if someone gets a hold of it, they could do a lot of damage, you know, in a short period of time. And, and ultimately, even though you're not directly responsible, you know, we all pay. The retailers pay. The card issuers pay. I mean, it's, it's something I mean, this we don't want to facilitate. This year, there's been a huge amount of hacking into, uh, I mean, Staples and Target and Home Depot and all these companies. What has been the impact on people's credit and credit reports uh, when the hacking goes on and they have access to your credit card numbers? Yeah, well, if you catch it, you can shut it down. Again, you're not responsible. The what the thing that worries me are consumers who use their debit card for everything. And this seems like the responsible way to go, right? Because you're only spending money that you have. But if your debit card is tied to your main bank account where you your paycheck comes in and your bills go out, if if it is compromised, the issuer has, as long as typically 14 business days, to um, provide provisional credit. That depends, and, and some of them are very fast about it. But while you're waiting for them to put money in your account to resolve it, you've got bills you need to pay. You've got you know things, you, you might need the cash, you might be traveling. So I'm very, very um, leery about using a debit card that's tied to your main bank account. doesn't matter whether you use a PIN or whether you don't use a PIN. That's all irrelevant. If someone gets a hold of the number, they can do a lot of damage in a short period of time. Now, credit cards are going to be changing in the coming year. More of them are going to have chips embedded in them. Is that going to make it harder uh, and have less ID theft and credit card stolen because of that? Yeah, the chips will cut down on a certain type of fraud, which is card cloning, where someone makes a copy of your card and uses it, but it will not cut down on online fraud. So it wouldn't stop, for example, someone who got a hold of your card number and your card information and went shopping on Amazon or mm-hmm. Best Buy or Online.com or whatever, a, a .com site. Um, that will not be stopped but it's by when you're physically, physically mm-hmm. swiping the card in a store. That is going to use the chip, so that'll help there a little exactly. bit. Exactly. It will, it will pretty much prevent them from cloning your card, you know, where they put those little skimmers in the, the, mm-hmm. uh, in the register, and then they skim your ca- card, and then they make a copy of it and go shopping. Yeah. And we just had this huge hack by North Korea of the Sony pictures and all the scandal going on there. Is ID theft getting better or worse? Uh, it's getting worse, and uh, I think you know we're at a a point where most people can assume some sort of compromise will take place, whether it's a data breach or whether it's full out identity theft. Um, 
you know, we're seeing it with taxes, we're seeing it with medical identity theft, we're seeing family identity theft where adults are using their children's identities uh, because they can't get credit. So it is a big, big problem. It's another case for, I think, you know, for really paying attention to your credit and making sure you stay on top of it. Um, and also making sure that if there is a problem, you know what to do, you know, you know who to contact. Um, many people have identity theft resolution services available through, say, the um, their, their life bank. Life, something like that. Right, exactly. So or do you through think that's bank, a good idea to do? Uh, I do. I mean, you may not have to pay for it. You may have it available already through your auto insurance, your homeowner's insurance, an alumni group, things like that. But I, w- I would find out if you have it available to you so you know what you do in the, in the case that your identity was compromised. What's happening on the regulatory front? Since this is a huge problem at ID theft, is this the CFPB or is the Federal Trade Commission? And what kind of steps are being done to help uh, protect consumers here? Um, I don't know. <laughs> That's a really Not good enough, question. I guess, so. uh, yeah, I mean, how do I, you know, how do we lock down someone's identity and still? I mean, that's that's always been the conundrum, right? We want people to shop. We want them to use their cards. That's what the American economy, you know, is fueled by. Um, but then we don't want a crook to get a hold of it. So it's a real, really difficult. Um, it's a difficult thing to tackle comprehensively. I think the Federal Trade Commission has an ID theft protection center where at least they keep statistics and all this. Yes, they do. That's right. But a lot of people are still getting victimized by it. So, okay, so let's say you've been hit by ID theft and they've taken out loans in your name, name and all kinds of things. What is the best way to recover from that and still stay sane? Yeah, well, certainly a couple tips. Um, whenever possible, get a police report. Uh, that will be very helpful in um, establishing that it wasn't you, that you it wasn't a type of friendly fraud. You know, you didn't lend your identity to your roommate or partner or whatever. Um, and then the other thing is to, uh, if you know you've been a victim, to either place a fraud alert or a credit freeze on your credit report for a period of time. And so freeze locks it down. No one can get into it without a PIN number. Um, a fraud alert alerts that there's a possible problem and alerts the creditor to notify you. Do you think creditors are getting better at spotting trends and warning people and checking, was that really your charge, that kind of thing? Are, are they getting better in that area? Absolutely. The technology is getting much, much better. But you have to get the alert. So if you don't have current contact information uh, you know, on, on file with your creditor, they can't warn you. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people don't. You're saying <laughs> they don't. Yeah, well, don't you know? You have to update it periodically. If you if you used an email address that changed, or used a cell phone number that changed, then those alerts won't reach you. So you do have to double check periodically. Maybe that's a good you know New Year's thing, right? To just when next time you get on to pay your bills in January, check your contact information. Make, Make sure, sure it's, it's all up to date. Yeah, look yes. at those alerts and see what you have set. Um, as we come to a close in the show here, just kind of give me an overall sense. We have interest rates at very low levels uh, now overall. Do you think that's going to continue and are consumers, it's going to be a good time to borrow because rates are going to be quite low for a while? Uh, Yeah, I'm not the crystal ball person, but I would say that, you know, I think it probably through a good part of 2015, rates will remain low. But um, keep in mind, the best rates go to consumers with the strongest credit. So it's still up to you to try to stay on top of your credit, make it as strong as you can, because that's what's going to earn you those um, super low rates. And particularly in the mortgage area, we have incredibly low rates now. Is this a good time to refinance or are most people who can qualify for it been able to do so at this point? 
No, it's a great time, and, and especially for those who may have been underwater in the past. They tried to refinance in the past, but they were underwater, or they went through the, the 2008-2009 meltdown. Their credit was bad, but now it's been enough time that they've had time to reestablish their credit. Then this could be a great time, and, and it's especially important if you have an adjustable rate um, second mortgage, just a lot A lot of those are going to start going into their full repayment period. So people have been paying interest only for five, seven, 10 years. And now they're going to go into a full repayment on that second mortgage or that home equity line of credit. Um, very, very important that you uh, consider refinancing now so you don't get payment shock. So get a fixed rate, go from an adjustable into a fixed rate. Exactly, get a fixed rate because it, your payment could double when you go from interest only to a full repayment schedule. Another thing people are forgetting about is TARP is a five-year <clears throat> program. In many cases, people got TARP uh, reductions of their interest rates in 2009, and so they're starting to have their rates go up as well. They thought this would be forever, but it was a five-year program. Exactly. So Home Affordable Refinance Program, HARP, those consumers are starting to see their payments increase, and they could increase substantially over the next few years. So if you're one of those consumers, you know, really look into what's available for refinancing. You might be in a better position than you were even a year or two ago in terms of being able to refinance. And lastly, the biggest debt problem out there of all is student loans. Do you see that getting any better, or what's the resolution to the student loan problem these days? Uh, I wish I knew. It's not It's not necessarily getting better. Um, the only thing I would say that is getting better is that there is an effort. President Obama signed uh, an executive order last year to extend the income-based repayment program to a larger number of uh, consumers who have um, federal loans. And so um, that's another scenario where if you looked into income-based repayment for your federal student loans and you were not eligible because they were too old, you'd want to look again uh, and keep on top of that news over the next few months to see if you are eligible because that program can lower your um, monthly payments to something that's affordable based on your income with forgiveness of any balances after either 10, 15, 20, or 25 years, depending on the program. It's an enormous problem for an awful lot of people. <laughs> it uh, sure is. Crushing yes. of student loans. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour in the Money Answer Show has been Jerry Detweiler. Uh, she is the Director of Education at Credit.com. Uh, her new book is called Debt Collection Answers, and her website for that is DebtCollectionAnswers.com. And you can find a lot of things we talked about at Credit.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Jerry. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks again, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.